You're listening to the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast, ASCP's journal come to life. Visit ASCP.com slash journal to read the articles and ASCP.com slash podcast to listen to more author interviews. Welcome to the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast. This is Donna Bartlett, your host. Today we have with us Dr. Janet Sluggett. Dr. Sluggett is a Senior Research Fellow at the University of South Australia. She also has a fellowship with the Registry of Senior Australians. Hi, Janet. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Donna. Thanks, and it's great to join you. So today we're speaking on your publication. It's called High Risk Medication Use in Older Residents of Long-Term Care Facilities, Prevalence Harms and Strategies to Mitigate Risks and Enhance Use. And you have been a co-author with some other folks that I'd like to mention as well. So not only is it you, Dr. Sluggett, but we also have Stephanie Harrison, Leona Ritchie, Alexander Klo, Debbie Rigby, Jillian Cohey, and Edwin Tan as all contributing authors to this publication. This publication can be found in the October 2020 issue of The Senior Care Pharmacist. So, Jenna, I would just love to get started in on the article. I just think that this article brings so much wonderful information to light, especially on issues of very common medications that are high alert medications. Could you just provide us with some background on the issues and on the medications that are high alert medications? Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Donna. So the high-risk medications that we are drawing attention to in this current Senior Care Pharmacist article are opioids, antithrombotics, glucose-lowering medications, and also antipsychotics. So I just want to point out that high-alert medications are also known as high-risk medications, so I might use those terms interchangeably. So high-alert medications are those which are linked with significant harm and even sometimes the risk of death when the medication is misused or used in error. So something that struck us when we were looking into this area and looking through lists of high-risk medications is that there doesn't seem to be a standard universal list of what is a high-risk medication. You know, things can vary in what is considered high risk across different health settings and also different countries. But when we were looking through these existing lists of high-risk medications, we did notice that there were a few classes of medicines that were commonly considered high risk across different settings, so in hospitals, in community setting, and also in long-term care settings. So these medicines were opioids, oral anticoagulants, and also insulin. And we know from also looking at the literature that these particular three classes of medications are among those that are most frequently implicated in emergency department visits and hospitalisations for adverse drug events in older people. We also know from looking at the literature that these three classes of medicines are those that are the most frequently implicated in medication incidents and errors in long-term care facilities. So overall, we know that these medicines are contributing to harms in our our older long-term care population, and we felt that as pharmacists, we are really well-placed to be able to help mitigate some of the risks with these medicines. Another medicine that we sometimes consider to be high risk in long-term care in older people is antipsychotic use. And so as we know, as pharmacists, there is this general feeling that 
the use of antipsychotics overall could potentially be reduced or optimised in our older residents. And, you know, as you point out, these medication classes, these four classes are really commonly prescribed. So we wanted to focus on these because we know that pharmacists in long-term care will be encountering residents taking these medicines, you know, on a daily basis basically as part of their practice. The other reason why we wanted to focus on these four classes is because there seems to be an, an increasingly national and international push to optimise these medicines at the population level. So in Australia, these four classes, opioids, antithrombotics, glucose-lowering medicines and antipsychotics, they're the four classes that as a country we're targeting nationally in our response to the World Health Organisation Third Global Patient Safety Challenge. So that safety challenge is called Medications Without Harm. And so it's aiming to reduce severe harm associated with medications globally by 50% over a five-year period. So these are the, the key medications we're trying to target. And so we really wanted to shine a light on these classes in particular. So I just want to finish by saying that in the paper, we talk about the prevalence of use of these medicines. And as you pointed out, they are really common, commonly used. We also talk about what some of the benefits and harms are of these therapies in our older residents. But then we finish by talking about what some of the strategies are that pharmacists and other health professionals can consider about implementing in long-term care to really optimise the use of these medicines. Sure. And these are all so important points that you bring out. The other thing too, and you mentioned it, that these are all still so heavily used in long-term care, but I know that as being a clinical pharmacist in a hospital, I also see patients coming in with these medications. So we see it everywhere, ambulatory and community dwelling and also in hospital pharmacy and then especially in long-term care, which this is such a specialty area for these medications too. So I really do see the relevance of this across so many areas of pharmacy, but I know that you're concentrating more on the long-term care in this article, but you can really see that it's transferable most likely. So as you had noted too, there are adverse drug events that are preventable, right? We always say that these things can be prevented. And as geriatric pharmacists, we often think of deprescribing and shift of patient and clinical goals. And you've mentioned this throughout the manuscript as well. Could you comment on some of the examples of the deprescribing and maybe shifting of goals that you're talking about? Yeah, definitely. I think this is a really important part of our, our practice as pharmacists, I agree, and making sure our, our treatment recommendations are individualised and looking for opportunities to potentially deprescribe some of these high-risk medicines where they may no, no longer be appropriate or providing benefit for an individual. So one of the examples that comes to mind when we're talking about deprescribing opportunities is particularly around the use of glucose-lowering medications, and we talk about this in the paper. So we know that there is current and emerging evidence that suggests that in people with advanced frailty or people with advanced symptoms of dementia and those who might be in their final months or years of life, which are, you know, all sometimes attributes of, of people who live in long-term care facilities, the focus of the treatment of diabetes, type 2 diabetes, often shifts to minimising symptoms of the risk of hypoglycemia and enhancing quality of life rather than having a very strict 
focus on glucose control and HbA1c targets. And so I think there is evidence starting to develop from studies and long-term care facilities that suggest that actually a a sizable proportion of people that come into long-term care facilities who are living with type 2 diabetes might potentially be overtreated and that this may be an, an area in particular that we, you know, these individuals may be able to benefit from looking for opportunities to deprescribe some of these glucose-lowering medications. So that's one example that sort of comes to mind from our work in this paper. I think on the other hand, though, you know, as pharmacists, you know, I'm sure we're all aware, but it's important to be cognizant that there also can be, in some instances, undertreatment of certain conditions that, you know, we're talking about in this paper. So particularly things like pain and diabetes, you know, there is concern potentially with analgesics that in some of the literature and some of our practice, we know that perhaps for a person living with dementia and these people, you know, comprise in Australia half of all the long-term care population, then individuals living with dementia may be less likely to report pain and potentially be undertreated. So while in this paper we're keen to try and mitigate some of the risks associated with the use of these medicines, I think it's also important to be cognizant that some patients will definitely need these therapies and be benefiting from these therapies. And that's something we also mentioned in the paper that, you know, sometimes, you know, we want people to be focused on deprescribing and agree that's definitely a massive part of our practice. There can be sometimes situations where concern about side effects can lead to therapies being omitted for people or underprescribed. The example that we highlight in the paper as well is around the use of oral anticoagulants for stroke prophylaxis in residents with atrial fibrillation who are in that long-term care setting. And, you know, I guess we highlight in the paper that, you know, the treatment decisions for some people in that situation can be really complex and it's really important that our decisions are individualised and the advice that we're giving is individualised because, you know, things like frailty and renal function and drug interactions and the risk of falls and stroke and bleeding, you know, all of these things come into play. And so sometimes it's not a a, a clear-cut answer, especially because, you know, the evidence in this, you know, this long-term care facility population isn't especially an under-researched population. And, you know, we know that it's been estimated only 2% of studies in older people are actually conducted in the long-term care setting. So, you know, sometimes these decisions are complex. (laughs) Sure, of course. I, I can't agree with you more with just absolutely everything you're saying. And it's, it really just brings to the surface all these very important things that we think about over-treatment, but then there's also that under-treatment that, like you pointed out, that is just so important. And are we almost forgetting to maybe increase a medication if we need to because we're not quite certain how well the person might be responding because they can't tell us because of their or something. So we're not always able to know right. or they're not able to always verbalize their issues. So really also important in regards to optimal treatment for for patients for sure. So we talked a little bit about before and I and I keep saying over and over again, you know, these are medications that we all see all the time. And like I said, I, I see them already being used in patients that are admitted to the hospital. I work in a hospital where we just have a very high population of geriatrics in that particular community. And so the majority of folks I work with are are older adults. 
And, you know, unfortunately, we see them be admitted to the hospital and then they might not be strong enough to return home. So then they're admitted to rehab. And I can just imagine you must see these medications all the time on your new admits. It's not that they're necessarily being put on them (laughs) at the long-term care. Once they arrive, they've been on these. And I would just love to hear more about you know, what do you see with the new admissions and high alert medications and and what do you need to do kind of immediately when the patients come in? Yeah, look, these are really important comments they've made and I couldn't agree with you more. You know, my my clinical background, similar to you, is is working in hospitals, in, in acute care, in geriatrics and also in what we call here transition care and also providing clinical services in long term care. So I agree with you. I definitely see that the use of these high-risk medicines is something that can arise before a person enters long-term care, definitely. This is something we've been really interested in through my work with and the work of some of our the co-authors, in particular Stephanie Harrison, who's one of the co-authors on this paper. We were interested in looking at changes in the use of medicines in the lead-up to a long-term care facility admission. So last year, we took undertook a national study where we looked at using the Registry of Senior Australians, which is one of the centres where I'm affiliated with. We undertook a national study of all individuals who entered long-term care facilities in Australia. And we looked at changes in the use of psychotropic medicines, so antidepressants, antipsychotics and benzodiazepines in the year before and after entry into a long-term care facility. So what we found was, as you would expect, there were considerable increases in the dispensing of these medicines in the lead up to long-term care admission. So we looked at three-month intervals in the year before and after, and we looked for a dispensing of one of these medicines. So what we found was in the nine to 12 months period before a person entered long-term care, for example, around 6% of individuals had been dispensed an antipsychotic at least once in that three-month period. And then in the three months before they entered long-term care, this had increased to 12% of people. And then in that three months after entry, it was 21% of people. So it's definitely increasing in that lead-up to entry to long-term care and then peaking when the individuals entered. And then in that year afterwards, it was like a plateau. So it stayed at that 21, 22% level in terms of antipsychotic use. In terms of antidepressant use, we actually saw a steady increase in use over the whole sort of 12 months, 12 months pre and post period. So that did actually continue to, to increase continuously over time. So I suspect like the comments that you've made, you know, if we want to change practice with regards to improving the use of high-risk medicines, then I think we need to try and also be implementing steps to limit the initiation of these medicines before someone even enters long-term care. And maybe community aged care services is one particular time, you know, that we could be implementing more interventions potentially. I think that's an important future direction for us as a profession. So in Australia at the moment, we don't necessarily have targeted pharmacy interventions towards people who are having community aged care services. And I think that could be a time where we could be optimising medication use. You know, the other point that, you know, important point that you make is that people are transitioning between different care settings all the time, particularly our older patients. And so 
you know, I think this is a really important point that you bring up that no matter what the setting, like whether it be long-term care, primary care or hospitals, you know, there's always this opportunity for us to try and be proactive and impact on this high-risk use. I'm thinking of a, a, a conversation I had in the last couple of weeks with a colleague of mine and it was about this concept of the longevity of our decisions for an older person around medicines who is leaving the hospital. And this concept that, you know, we might intend for a high-risk medicine that's been initiated or in hospital to only be used for a short time or only until discharge or only a short time after discharge, so maybe, a, you know, insulin or maybe um, if an antipsychotic had been, you know, initiated for delirium or something, you know, it might be something that, you know, we want to only see used for a very short period of time after it has been initiated. But then, you know, when a person moves to long-term care, Sometimes, you know, we know there are problems with information transfer and, you know, discharge summaries potentially not always being accurate. And so there's a risk that sometimes these medicines are recharted in long-term care and then kept on board and kept going for longer than we perhaps originally intended. So I think, you know, we had this discussion around that, you know, as pharmacists, you know, sometimes our actions or and recommendations at discharge can have these long-lasting implications for a long-term care resident. And so, right. you know, we need to be thinking carefully about, you know, what systems we have in place to ensure that these, when these medicines are started, you know, with good intentions that, you know, there is a mechanism that right. can be sort of reassessed on the other side of that care transition and, you know, what are the reconciliation processes that we have in place for medicine. That's great. And what a neat conversation to have just had. (laughs) (laughs) That's very timely. (laughs) So the other thing that I really like about the paper that you have is the tools that you provide. And you give a lot of great examples of what can be used in order to help with our decision-making, whether it be to Add on a medication or to stop a medication or reduce a medication type thing. So if you could just talk a little bit about that and a couple of the tools that you did use or paid tribute to, shall I say, too, in your article, I would really like to hear a little bit more about those tools. Yeah, certainly. So as you mentioned, say so in the paper, we do highlight a number of potential tools. And, you know, I think it's it's helpful as pharmacists for us to have these sort of practical tools and strategies that we could potentially use to guide our decision-making or highlight residents who may be at greater risk of harm. So I can speak to in detail about one of the tools in the paper. This is the Mrs. Grace tool. This is an acronym, so it stands for the Medication Regimen Simplification Guide in Residential Aged Care. And so as the, the name suggests, Mrs. Grace, it is targeting helping pharmacists to try and find opportunities to simplify medication regimens for residents. And we know that this is important for high-risk medications because we know that some of these medications like warfarin and diabetes medications and insulin in particular, they are important contributors to complex medication regimens in long-term care. And also some of our research and the research of others have shown that people with more complex medication regimens are at greater risk of poor health outcomes. So it kind of makes sense that we might want to intervene to make things a bit simpler to benefit residents and also to benefit staff who are also involved in administering these medications. So the Mrs. Grace tool is a a tool that I was involved in the development with in conjunction with one of my PhD students, Issa Chen, and also a range of other stakeholders. It's a five-step tool 
it's a validated tool and it's a tool that a pharmacist or a healthcare professional can use to identify opportunities to simplify use. And it's an implicit tool. So what that means is it helps the pharmacist to use their clinical judgment when making recommendations about simplifying the medications. So we developed this tool, Mrs Grace. We asked two pharmacists to validate the tool and we found that it was effective in helping pharmacists to identify opportunities to simplify medicines for two-thirds of all residents. And there was, you know, reasonable agreement between the two pharmacists as to the types of interventions they recommended based on this tool. So after we validated it, we then applied it in a clinical trial setting called the simple, and this was in a study called the Simpler Study. Again, another acronym. So this was a cluster randomised controlled trial in eight long-term care facilities in South Australia where I'm based. Mm-hmm. And as part of that mm-hmm. trial, we showed that having a pharmacist go into the long-term care facility and use the Mrs Grace tool led to, that intervention led to a significant reduction in the number of medication administration times for residents. And that actually these effects were not just shown at our four-month follow-up, but also shown at our eight- and 12-month follow-up too. So it did give a bit of a sustained impact on reducing the number of dosing times. And, you know, I think it was a great trial to be involved with, but also obviously this ability to to free up staff time and streamline medication administration obviously also has benefits right now because, you know, while we're dealing with the impact of COVID in long-term care as well. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is one of many particular tools that we highlight in the paper that, you know, can potentially be used during a comprehensive medication review or during our other activities with long-term care mm-hmm. residents. That's great. So just to wrap things up, because I see we're getting close to our ending here, I'm just curious as to all of these experiences that you've put forth and within your own, you know, experiences and your team of experiences, what are some of the barriers or even what are some of the positive team experiences that you have seen by, you know, trying to implement this maybe deprescribing or reduction of these high-risk medications? And where do you see, you know, the pharmacy career going, especially when we're thinking about our pharmacy students who might be listening into what should they be doing in order to maybe have a career in this area? Where do you see this leading to and evolving? Yeah, definitely. So I think quickly some of the the points that come to mind with regards to my experience leading a trial and working with stakeholders in long-term care is that, you know, when we're trying to develop a quality improvement intervention, we need to bear in mind there is the importance of having those conversations with residents and family members to talk through barriers. There is an influence of trusted persons on someone's decisions around participating in a trial or changing their medication regimen. And so we're much more likely to get practice change when we engage with all stakeholders, whether it be aged care staff, family members, the resident prescribers. You know, it it works well when we sort of engage with all those stakeholders and have good communication strategies and professional working relationships. And, you know, that's really important to facilitate practice change, I think, and I'm sure as pharmacists we would be all aware of that point. I think, you know, there is lots of opportunity for pharmacists to be involved in interdisciplinary quality improvement activities and we really wanted to whet people's appetites in the paper sort of to think about what might be possible and so... As a general comment, I guess I would say when we're working on implementing something new, you know, don't be 
disheartened if it doesn't necessarily work the first time round. You know, we can do quick, quick plan, do study act cycles and, and learn from these. And then I think it's important, you know, to note that, you know, when we do find something that works, it is really hard to sustain practice change. And so that means we need to be often repeating those messages regularly so that we can help to maintain practice change that we're trying to bring about. And so I guess in terms of how pharmacy practice is evolving, I definitely encourage people to get involved in long-term care work and research. In terms of what's happening in Australia, we have a, a medication review program in long-term care facilities, but we're actually taking steps nationally to try and embed pharmacists more permanently within long-term care facilities so that we have a role to, you know, a greater opportunity to follow up issues with residents over time and also be more proactive and also play a greater role in education and governance, clinical governance activities within the facilities. So there's a clinical trial underway in Australia at the moment where we're trialling having a pharmacist permanently embedded within long-term care facilities. So we're we're all looking forward to the results of that trial. Definitely. Yes, I would say. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you very much for all of your time. I could honestly keep asking you more <laughs> questions, but unfortunately, I, I think I need to stop here. <laughs> but so, but I do want to thank you so much, Dr. Janet Sluggett, for being with us today. Thanks, Donna. It's been great. Of course. And I just want to repeat one more time as to the title of your article. It can be found in the October 2020 um, senior Care Pharmacist publication. Um, the name of the article is High Risk Medication Use in Older Residents of Long-Term Care Facilities, Prevalence, Harms, and Strategies to Mitigate Risks and Enhance Use. So I can't thank you enough, Janet, and I just look forward to hearing more about everything that you're doing in some of these studies that I get to look forward to seeing. Thanks very much, Dawn. Thank you. You're listening to Senior Rx Radio, brought to you by ASCP. Visit us online at ASCP.com slash podcasts. ASCP, empowering pharmacists, transforming aging.